John's Gospel. And um, Fleur stole my sermon this morning, and that's okay. It's good. Yeah. Morning tea. We're going we're gonna to have a look at just a couple little pieces in detail. Um, open your Bible, if you would, with me. We're going to be in John chapter 21. And we're going to be having a look really at the first 14 verses uh, of chapter 21 this morning. And you're going to have to wait until after May has finished. Missions month is finished. And then we will finish John's gospel. Um, yeah, yeah, it's exciting. We're going to finish a thing. It'll be good. All right, John chapter 21. Please read along with me. I'll move this out of the way. I've got the text up here. I've put different colored font depending on who's talking. And this is from an NIV. Uh, We will discover in one short phrase this morning some of the limitations of translating out of ancient Koine Greek into the English language. But let's read from verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. This is after he has had the, uh, the moment with Thomas that we had a look at. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee or by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and two other disciples were together. Verse 3, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. See, if it didn't have the second phrase there, that would be the most quoted verse by Aussie men out of the entire Bible. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. Guys would just be quoting that verse continually. Unfortunately, it then goes on, so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So (laughs) the scriptures are true, aren't they? Yeah. All right. Verse four, early in the morning... Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Just think about the way they would have answered that question for a moment. No, they answered. We'll come back and talk about this because it's, it's kind of ironic that Jesus asks the question. Verse 6, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat And you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, our author, who never refers to himself by name. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. They're in shallow water. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat 
and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Fascinating observation there. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. What a fascinating passage of scripture. Um, let's start with, with some of the things which are the obvious thing. And then we'll have a look at the thing which God really poked me about and I'm going to poke you about. Obvious things. How many disciples are present? Count them. Verse 2. Simon Peter, that's one. Who else? Thomas. Isn't it great? Thomas's name, after what we looked at last week, is mentioned straight after Simon Peter. Thomas, who was absent before, is now not letting Peter out of his sight. Simon Peter. Thomas, also known as Didymus. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee who we think is also named Bartholomew in Matthew's Gospel. The sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. Where's, where is John the Apostle, who is our author? He's probably one of these other two. Fascinating, isn't it? He doesn't mention himself by name. He's just one of the others. He's one of the other guys who's there. Now, turn with me, if you have a Bible in your hand, because you're going to need it. Back into Luke's gospel. And we're going to have a look in Luke 24. So in Luke 24, in order for us to understand the importance of verse 3, we need to have a look back here. So have a look in Luke 24 and come down here to verse 45. And this, by the way, is one of, one of the passages of Scripture that causes us to pray that the Lord would open our minds to understand. Verse 45, Luke 24, verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay where? Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, Luke puts that conversation right at the end of really the second encounter that the, that the disciples have with Jesus. This is Luke puts that either when Jesus turns up in the locked room and Thomas is not present or when Jesus turns up and Thomas is present. It is one of those two moments straight after. And Jesus says, do not leave the city. And Peter says, what? Verse 3. What does he say? It's right there in blue. I'm going out to fish. Well, that's interesting. And what did everyone else say? We'll go with you. So it is first and foremost a peculiar thing that they're out fishing. And Jesus, here in verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore. Jesus has not just turned up to interrupt their fishing. Something else is going on here. The scriptures suggest to us that they're not supposed to be here. Peter has gone fishing, and in doing so, it seems that he is acting against what Jesus has told him to do. 
And the other disciples are with him as well. So Jesus stands there and verse 5, he calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Depending on your translation, it might say, children, have ye any meat? Or have you any meat? The phrase that's used there is not the phrase that was generally used to talk about children. It's more of an an affectionate term. The way we might say, oh, hello, kitties, to, to people that you, you get along really well with. Yeah, yeah, wiggle style, yeah. This is the way Jesus is calling out to them. It's a familiar term, and he's basically, the, the phrase that's used there for meat is also a generic term. Here it's translated as fish because they're fishing, but it means have you got anything else that actually goes with bread? The obvious answer is no, we don't. They've been out fishing all night and they've caught nothing. They're actually not where they're supposed to be. And Jesus is on the beach calling out to them. Does Jesus already know the answer to his question? Let's remember who we're dealing with. This is the son of God. He already knows they don't have any fish. Jesus at this particular moment already has his own fish. When they turn up on the beach, he's already got fish cooking. Did he go fishing earlier? Did Jesus buy them on the way there? We don't know, but Jesus already has fish. And here he calls out to a group of seven people, at least three of which we know are professional fishermen. That was their trade. They've been out all night. They've caught nothing. And here Jesus has a point to make. Because the missing fish that turn up are kind of like another character in the story, another person that we're supposed to take note of. And Jesus says these words, throw your net on the right side of the boat And you will find some. Turn with me in Luke's gospel back to chapter 5. Because this is not the first time Jesus has done this miracle. And this is not the first time Jesus has done this miracle with these men. So if he's repeating this miracle with these men, it's likely that they are receiving the same lesson that they were supposed to get the first time. Chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, we're going to start reading at verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. So Jesus is in the boat. He's been teaching people from the boat because they were crowding around him. He says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. It's interesting that we read the observation in John's gospel that their nets were not damaged. Interesting. Verse 7, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, the other professional fishermen. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people or you'll be fishers of men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. And here Simon and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, have gone fishing all night and they've caught nothing. And the son of God turns up on the beach early in the morning. And he already has fish caught. And these guys get the exact same lesson again. 
I wonder what went through their heads the moment that they heard that voice ring out from the shore. Got some great pictures here, just to help us as we think. Some very stylized ones. But you imagine the voice ringing out from the shore. Children, have you any meat? Friends, have you got any fish? They would have been in a fantastic mood, don't you think? Professional fishermen all night catching nothing. No. And then they hear this voice, throw your nets over the other side of the boat and you'll catch some. Throw your net over the other side of the boat and you'll catch some. And, and I, I can't help but wonder, did the bells start to go off in there? Did they all of a sudden stand up and go, uh, mm. Jesus has not come looking for them because they're amazing fishermen. Really, really, a couple of simple points this morning. Jesus has not come to see them early in the morning because he wants to hang out and just chat. Jesus has not come to see them early in the morning because they're amazing at their skill and at their job and he wants them to be amazing and skillful at their job. Jesus has come to see them early in the morning because these are people that he has called and they are not where they are supposed to be. They are not functioning the way he has called them to function. First time, they left their nets behind. And here we find Jesus told them, don't leave the city, and here these guys are back out fishing again. Jesus already has some fish. But he says these words. Let me pull it back up here in the text. Verse 10. Peter has jumped out of the boat. He's got his cloak around him. And he, the others are in the boat that we know of. Maybe a couple of them have, have gotten back out. And Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And man, this is annoying because when the Lord puts his finger on something, you can sit and stew on it for hours. And and he go, Lord, what is this for? Why is it important that here in 2018 in Kerrang that we have this particular information? Think for a moment. Think for a moment about Peter. He knows that it's Jesus. John has just said to him, we find out in the previous verse, previous two verses. Verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. Peter knows that it is Jesus and he is moving up the beach toward Jesus. Forget the fish. He is going to be with Jesus. And then Jesus says to him, before he sits down, before he gets comfortable, before they have their, their one-on-one, we know that Peter is going to be restored by Jesus. But before that happens, Jesus says to him, go and get the fish. Go and get the fish that you have just caught. Jesus already has fish. He actually doesn't need this other fish. If Jesus had run out of fish, he's the one that multiplies fish. If he'd run out of bread, he's the one that multiplies bread. What is Jesus doing sending Peter back to get this other fish? So think about it. Peter turns around. Here is Jesus in front of him. He turns around. He goes back to the boat. And with these two hands, he then has to collect some of these fish. And what is going through his mind? What is the effect that Jesus wants that act to have on Peter? What does Jesus want to happen in Peter? Because now when Peter brings those fish back to Jesus and he puts them down before the Lord to form part of the meal that they are just about to eat, 
Peter has to be radically aware that he has been out of order. It has to get awareness into Peter to go, what am I doing? Why am I going and getting this? Jesus is here. He could be anywhere right now, but he's here. He has come to see us and he's telling me to go and get these fish I've just caught. What's the point? Can we see that this is actually a, a way that Peter is confronted with his disobedience? That he is not where he is supposed to be. He actually has to own that. He has to go back and he has to be made aware that everything that he's just put all this time and energy into, he was fruitless at until Jesus got involved. They caught no fish. And then when Jesus turns up, his success is in the hands of Jesus. So Jesus gives him the success that he wanted. They have a net full of fish, large fish, the scriptures say. And even then, when he turns up on the beach, Jesus didn't need them. Everything that Peter had sunk his time and his energy into, everything he had given his resources for, he had gotten himself smelling of fish again. All of that that had gone on, Jesus had not asked him to do. So here is our question this morning. Really, really, really simple question. Is it the same for us? Can we learn from what's gone on with Peter in this moment? Are we off doing something where, where God has actually not told us to be? Are we doing a Peter? Are we putting our time and our energy and our effort and our resources into something that God has not told us to do? Because before Peter can come and sit at the feet of Jesus, Jesus makes him own his decision. Peter, before you come and sit down, go, go and get some of that fish. Go and get some of the fish that you've just caught. How meaningful is fish in light of eternity if it's not what God asked him to do? And we need to let this reflect on our own decisions in our own life. How meaningful is all the stuff right now that you are wrapped up with in your life, your occupation, where your time goes, where your money goes, where your emotional energy goes, the things that keep you up at night, if it is not what God has told you to do, it is disobedience. It is disobedience. And Peter here could say, you know, Lord, I've toiled so hard. Look at what I've done. I will bring you all of my fish. Look at all these fish I've brought you, Lord. Uh, 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 let, me, let me treat it as an act of worship. It's still disobedience. See, it's possible that you and I can pour our life into an endeavor that God has actually told us, look, I want you over here doing this. I want you to be doing something else. And we can go, oh, but, but if, I, if I put my time and energy in here, I can be really successful. Or Lord, I can give you a, a whole lot of money or I can give you a whole lot of influence or I can give you a whole lot of fish, a whole lot of whatever. If it is not what God has asked of us, it is disobedience. Like chasing after the wind, it actually has no bearing on eternity. So we've got to be really careful that we're not taking something that makes us feel better about ourselves. See, Peter was a professional fisherman. If he wanted to feel better himself, all he had to do was go and fish. He was practically guaranteed success. And we have things like that in our own lives. If we want to feel better about ourselves, I'm going to go and do this because I'm really good at that. You know, 
I'm going to go and be involved in this or, or I'm going to go and, and give my time or my energy to this because that's going to make me feel like I've had a win, you know. All of us have those things that we run to in order to make ourselves feel better. And often, often for people, it's work. Do I go to that thing because it makes me feel better, even though that is not what God has told me to do? Am I fishing right now? The same as Peter was fishing. It's an uncomfortable question. We've got to be real about what's actually driving us. Am I calling it a life of sacrifice? Am I calling it an act of worship? When actually it is me not doing what God has told me to do. See, Jesus does not come looking for these men because they're amazing fishermen. Matter of fact, any of the success they have is in Jesus' hands and not their own hands. And it's the same for us. Any success you have is not in your hands. It's actually in Jesus' hands. Now, what the Lord calls Ezekiel, and he says, Ezekiel, I want you to come and do this thing. No one's going to listen to you. No one's going to pay any attention. All, all the outward trappings are going to look like failure, but I want you to be obedient. Obedience is so precious to the Lord. And here Peter has these other disciples who actually follow him out. They're in the boat with him. They are on a beach, not in the city. When we use our own two hands to try and take control of our life, it's actually not the kingdom of God that's our first priority. Maybe that's what was going on for Peter. After everything that had happened, he just wanted to feel like he was in control of something. All of us feel that from time to time. But when we, we spend our time and energy going, I'm, I'm going to do this thing for me, our focus and our priority is not God's kingdom. When we aim to feel better by doing something where we think we're guaranteed success, our focus is not on obedience to the Lord. If Ezekiel wanted to feel successful... If Peter wanted to feel successful, if the apostles, particularly Paul throughout the New Testament, wanted to feel successful, that could so easily have led them into disobedience, abandoning the mission. Because so often obedience to Jesus looks like foolishness to the world. If they hated him first, they will hate us. If we're continually wanting to be successful or to feel validated, to be assured of our own capability or capacity or greatness, we can very quickly lead other people astray. So are you fishing when maybe you should be doing something else? If you are honest your primary motivation right now, the thing which is sucking your time and your energy actually may not be the purpose of God. It might be you trying to, to manage your own sense of powerlessness. It might be you needing to satisfy the itchy feet feeling of just wanting something to happen or, or trying to deal with boredom. We can have all of those things go on that sidetrack us from the mission and from being obedient. Are you fishing? Are you knowingly right now not where the Lord has told you to be? Because if you are not where God has told you to be, if you are not doing what God has told you to do, then it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter how successful it looks or does not look. This is temptation. 
to think that we're doing something for the Lord when really we're doing it because something inside our own heart is, is causing it to happen. And God forbid that we call that a life of sacrifice or a life of worship to the Lord. Because ultimately it's not aimed at God, it's aimed at placating our own need. Here's the good news. The rest of chapter 21, Jesus is waiting to restore Peter. After they sit down, after they have this time together, Jesus is waiting to restore Peter. He wants Peter to be operating at capacity. He wants Peter to be flourishing and doing extraordinarily well in fishing of men, not fishing of fish. In the thing that God has carved him out and equipped him and called him for. And in the same way that God fills Peter's nets full of fish, when Peter gets up and speaks on Pentecost, how many are added to the number? 3,000 are added to their number in that day. God does the same thing with human beings that he does with fish in a net. He wants Peter to be restored. And I believe for each and every one of us, the Lord wants us to be operating in the capacity that he has called us to. But sometimes that means that we need to go through the same process, that the Lord wants us to become aware of just where we are. And if we are not where we are supposed to be, then we need to, to be prepared to own that and to come before the Lord and to sit down and actually hand that over. I am not where I am supposed to be. I'm not doing what you told me to do. I know that right now, Lord, I'm, I'm out of order. We need to have those conversations with the Lord because on the other side of those conversations is restoration is genuinely doing something and flourishing in something in God that he has called us to. On the other side of this event for Peter is restoration. Maybe we feel like the other disciples. Nobody speaks. Sometimes it's like that when we come before the Lord and it's clear that we have been out of order. Sometimes we just need to sit and not say anything. To not fill that space with words. Maybe to fill that space with silence. And with tears. And with conviction. And then, and then think of Peter's response. The first time the Lord breaks into his world. Lord, stay away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, come follow me. Are you fishing? Are you not where you were supposed to be? Are you not filling your life with the things that God would have you fill your life with? Are you giving your time and your energy to something that in your heart of hearts, you know that God would have you not do? Jesus did not sink their boat. Jesus did not shred their nets. Jesus did not leave them empty-handed. What they receive from him is not firebolts of wrath. Jesus is loving. Jesus is forgiving. But we've got to be real. We've got to come to the Lord and go, Lord, if, if you know that you're out of order, come in repentance 
Come humbly, come on your knees before Jesus and ask, ask for forgiveness and then let him restore you and equip you and put you back in the direction and on the path that he wants you to be on. We're going to pray and then we're going to um, sing. We'll do that song we did just before, praise the name. But this morning, if you want, if you need to talk, then don't let this morning go past without talking. There are some elders in the room. There are some ministry leaders in the room. I know your small group leaders are good people to chat to. If you want to talk to me, come and talk to me. But if you need if you need to address this, please don't let it just drift past. Lord Jesus, we long to be obedient. And it is so hard sometimes. It is so difficult, particularly when it feels like we're just waiting around. Or when we have that itchy feet feeling. Or when we feel like it's not purposeful. Lord Jesus, it's so tempting to try and make it work ourselves, to take our own two hands and to try and take control. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. Would you speak? Would you speak to us, please? Would you convict us? Lord God, I know that you love us too much to let us wander off into other strange things. You say that your sheep hear your voice. And I ask this morning, those of us that really need to hear from you, would we hear from you loud and clear? Would there be no mistake deep in our hearts that we have heard your voice and that you are calling us to yourself? Lord Jesus, we look to be restored with you. We look to be where you want us to be and to be flourishing in that. Lord Jesus, would you help us to repent? Would you help us to apologize, to lay down our fish? Lord Jesus, we praise you and we honor you and we thank you for your grace, for your love, for your mercy. Oh, Lord, for your patience with us. You are so patient with us. We commit ourselves to you, not because we are good, but because you are good, Lord Jesus. And in your precious name, we ask all these things. Amen.